had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit would not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothras, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city of the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. And a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She's a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And the girl followed Paul and us, and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now this she did for many days, but Paul, being greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. And when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and drug them into the marketplace uh, to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore out their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the truth of your word, for how your word uh, just guides us and leads us. Open our eyes, Lord God, that we might see, Father, your plan for our lives, and God, that we would make the choice, even as maybe many of us are teetering on the, on the edge of all in, and make the choice to drop, to jump, to push our lives and all that we have into Jesus Christ and watch what it is that God does with us. Lord, we ask your blessing, anointing, eyes and ears available to hear your spirit as we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come here in Acts chapter 16 and we see Paul has some things going on for him. For one thing, Paul knows the general will of God. Do you know the general will of God for you? You should, because I talk about it all the time. In Matthew, Jesus said, Go into all the world, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things 
I commanded, Jesus, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's God's general will for every one of us. We sit around and we say, Lord, reveal your will for me. That's his will. Now, the exciting thing about Paul is Paul, in understanding the general will of God, did not have all the specifics worked out. But what he was willing to do was to get moving. He was willing to go. We know that he followed the same route that he had at his first missionary journey, and he picked up a young man who had watched Paul be stoned and then come to life and walk back into the city again. His name was Timothy. So he swings in and picks up Timothy, and Timothy comes along with him. At verse 10, we know that Luke is with him, gathered together. So we see these guys going, and as they go, they've got a mind, Paul desiring first to head to the area of Ephesus. If we take a look, we'll see it in verse 6. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now did the word ever go there? Sure. There's a church there. It's called Ephesus. There's a book written to them called Ephesians in the Bible. So it was just not time yet. God stopped Paul from going to Ephesus. Wasn't time to go there yet. And the scripture doesn't tell us how. Now, a lot of people speculate a lot of different ways. I really don't think it matters. Here's what I think happens. I think we have eyes so tuned to try to see the supernatural that we don't see God moving in the natural. You ever have one of those days where you just can't seem to get where you're going? Well, you've got a plan to go somewhere, to be someplace, and it all falls apart. When we first came to Idaho, we bought a house in Filer, right off a of pole line. I was so stoked because I could get on pole line, go one way and get to church. And I could go on pole line, go the other way and get to Costco. Two necessary parts of my life. So we sign a lease and we move into the house and they closed pole line for two years. you got to be kidding me. The entire time we lived there, pole line was closed. <coughs> I could go one direction. Apparently, the Lord wanted me to spend more time at church and less time at Costco. Sometimes we miss God's supernatural ability to lead us and guide us because we're looking for something spectacular. The light shining from heaven, dawning on a verse in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to say those things don't happen, but far more often, God speaks to us very naturally, and we miss those things. We want to have hearts and minds tuned to what God does have for us to do. So Paul wants to go to Ephesus, but there's a road closed. He can't go. The door is shut. What does he do? The Bible lays out for us, and in essence, Paul slows down just slow enough to make a turn. And he turns in another direction. Look at verse 7. After they come to Mysia, they try to go to Bithynia. Now, Bithynia is on the Black Sea. It's a resort town. It's like a, a place on a the beach. They, wanted, they thought, well, we'll go down to the beach. A lot of people down there by the beach will have an opportunity to minister to them and swing in and swing through. So he slows down enough to turn. But what does it, what does it tell us in verse 7? It says, but the Spirit did not permit them. Another roadblock. Another stop. Another part of the journey. Listen, a lot of people in 
the church want to know the specific will of God. God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to search? But listen, when I read the scripture, I see God revealing those things to the people who are moving. Not the people who are just sitting. They're moving. They're trying to fulfill God's general will. The general will that says, man, i got to be going and making disciples of all men. I need to find some people to baptize and, and teach them about Jesus Christ. And so Paul is trying to accomplish that. And as he does it, very naturally, God is guiding him. You get what I'm saying? God is directing him. He's, he's pointing him in the direction that God would have him to go. So... He gets another roadblock. What's he do? He slows down just enough to make another turn. Look, he came from one direction. He tried to go to the right. It was closed. Tried to go straight ahead. It was closed. So he hangs a left. He turns and he goes down to Troas. Troas is a porch. Porch. It's not a porch. It's a port city. It's a port city from which you can send ships. And it says, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So he just goes the only direction that's left to him. Are you guys with me? He goes to that direction. He wants to be used. He wants to be of service to the Lord. And as he goes down to Troas, that night he goes to sleep and he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees a man of Macedonia saying, we need your help. We need your help. It's funny because a lot of times I know that people are praying and seeking the will of God. God, where are you directing me? God, what do you want me to do? And while they're doing that and as those things are going on and as they're seeking the Lord's face, there are people on the right and on the left and straight ahead saying, we need help. We need help. And it's almost as though they say, all these people asking for help are so loud, I can't hear the Lord. And maybe we got it backwards. Maybe you are hearing the Lord. But you're waiting for that light to shine out of the heavens. Or you're waiting for something spectacular. And maybe that something spectacular will come. I'm not saying it won't. But at least consider the idea as Paul comes, he goes to trust. He don't know where he's going. He goes to sleep, has a dream. The dream doesn't begin with a picture of God and the Lord saying, Paul, finally got you where I wanted you to be. Now go to Macedonia. That's not what the dream is. He just has a dream of a guy in Macedonia saying, help us. And he wakes up and he says, God wants us to go to Macedonia. God wants us to go. He's laid this on his heart. He, he, he feels like he has God's specific will now. So I think what's important for us to grasp and to take from the is the idea that if we know God's general will for our life, then we ought to be, and if we want to hear from God, we ought to be trying to fulfill God's general will for our life. And as we step out, then God will narrow our focus and bring His specific will. His specific will. I'm blessed by Andy who was up here earlier talking about Scotland. I remember I got, I got a chance to do Andy and Jamie's wedding. They got married and, and I did their wedding and, and I invited uh, Andy to come to the men's retreat. I don't remember. I think it was two men's retreats ago. 
it doesn't make any difference. He came and God met him there and he just really got excited about the Lord and, and he had a ton of questions. So I said, Andy, let's get together. So we started to get together one night a week and just try to pour into him and encourage him and, and guide him and lead him and point him to some Bible studies. And, and then uh, he was still, every time I give him a book, he just swallowed it. So I give him, a, I, I turned him on to a, a decent Bible college, online Bible college thing. And he, so he, he's been devouring that for the last couple of years. And he's like, man, Jackie, I don't know what to do. I said, Andy, man, you're filling up with all this stuff, but you've got to pour out. So I said, why don't you just look for opportunities to serve? And he said, well, how about I start doing something with Sunday school? Sure, do something with Sunday school, which is probably where he's at right now. And so he's in there, and he's teaching, and he's pouring out to the kids, and he's looking for places. Now, God's specific will for his life is to take him to Scotland. But in the meantime, he's fulfilling God's general will for his life and making disciples of all men, wherever he has the opportunity. And in each one of those situations, doesn't God train him? Doesn't God teach him? Doesn't God develop his gifts and, and tune him up and get him ready for the next step, whatever the next step is? And, and whether God takes him to Scotland tomorrow or in five years, it doesn't make any difference. You see, he's still on the path. He's still on the road, fulfilling God's plan and purpose in his life. He's not going to miss it because he's moving. And as he's moving, he's going to be uh, empowered. God's going to take him where God wants him to be. The same thing happened to Paul. He's moving. He's moving. He gets a word. <coughs> where to go, what to do. So he's got an idea. He has a vision of this man. Verse 10, it says, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Just a little side note. That we means Luke was with them when they left from Troas to go to Macedonia. The man from Macedonia was not Luke calling him. Some people feel like that's Luke. But Luke is with him in verse 10. Um, there's no way for him to be in Macedonia and with him at the same time. Luke is writing a book, by the way. This is Luke. <laughs> in case you didn't know. So Luke is writing. He says, we, he's with them. They concluded the Lord called them to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. So, straight course, that phrase, we sailed straight course. It's a nautical term that means that the wind was with them. You guys know they didn't have big fancy boats back in those days, right? Well, they might fancy, but no motors. By fancy, I mean motor. There's no motor in the boat, right? So, when the wind's at your back, you're going to travel faster than the wind wind's at your face, right? Agreed? In a boat. So we see here it takes them two days. In chapter 20, we're going to see it takes them five days to get back. And a lot of times people ask, well, what's the difference? Why did it only take them two days to get there and five days to get back? The wind. Nautical term says the wind was at their backs. Boom, sails are open and they're going. You ever felt like when you're moving in the direction that God wants you to go, that the wind is in your sails and you're just going and the Lord's just guiding you. You're just trucking through the things, the direction that the Lord takes you. There's other times where you're coming and there's the wind's blowing the wrong way. Does that mean that's not the way God wants you to go? It doesn't mean that. Sometimes the Lord wants you to have to row a little bit. Sometimes the Lord wants you to work. Last time we got together, you remember what we talked about? We talked about it's the love of Christ that compels us to go and to do. That's what starts us. But the big question is not what's going to get you going. The big question is what's going to make you quit. Contrary wind. Road closed. The God changing your direction. Because a lot of people, as soon as some of that stuff comes, man, 
they want to fold up shop and call it. But you see, Paul would not stop. Are you with me? He would not stop. God knows. I got to direct this cat because he is moving. He is going full speed ahead. I'm going to block his door here. I'm going to block his way here. I'm going to open the door here. Now, he called them to Macedonia. That's not a little city. That's a big country. So again, does he have a specific will? Or does he have a general will? I know generally I'm supposed to be making disciples, baptizing people, teaching them about Jesus. I know generally I'm supposed to go to Macedonia. So he goes. He gets on a boat. In two days he lands in Neapolis. Now, he's in Macedonia. For whatever reason, he walks out of Neapolis and he comes to a little town or a little city, not necessarily little, but a colony of Rome called Philippi. He comes to Philippi, colony of Rome. Now this actually is something that that Paul does often. Why? Because Paul is a tent maker and he's a Roman citizen. So he supports his missionary ventures by making tents. And because he's a Roman citizen, if he's in a Roman colony, there's no taxes for a Roman citizen. So it helps and makes it easier for him to support what he's doing by going to Philippi. Now, I know some of you would like to know that there was a, a greater reason for Paul choosing that city. I'm not sure there was. He went where he could support themselves, where he could do the work that he needed to do. That was Philippi. He knows the general will of God. I've got to be making disciples. So that's what he does. That's what he does. That's how he's being directed by the, law, the Lord. That's how he's moving and accomplishing the things that he wants to do. So they get there in two days. They go to Philippi, a, a colony of Rome. It says in verse 13, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. So he's looking around. Paul always started the same way. If you're going to start an mission field, if you're going to plan a church, if you're going to start a church, and by the way, this is going to be the first church in Europe, very first church, the first person to get saved in the very first church in Europe is about to happen in a couple of verses. So there he is. Who are you going to talk to? You're going to talk to people who are ready. If you go plant a church, unless God tells you differently, you're probably not going to stand with a bullhorn on the, on the corner of the street yelling at everybody that they're going to hell unless they come to your church. How are you going to start it? You go to a city where there are already brethren gathered together who are praying that they can start a church and you start a home study and the home study is is blessed and grows. Then you get a building and you start a, a church. If there's absolutely nobody there, then you start witnessing one person at a time until you build to the Bible study and then you can build to the church. That's how it works. So he's there and he's thinking, now usually Paul always went, if he's looking for somebody who's ready to receive Christ, he always started in the same place. Where was it? He always went to the Jew first, right? Why would he go to the Jew first? Well, the Jews already got the Old Testament, already knows that there's only one God, already is familiar with the the concept in Judaism because we're talking about the exact same God who sent his son, the promised Messiah, all those things in the Old Testament scripture, they already understood. So where is he going to start? He always starts with the Jew, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. That's what he said. So he goes to those who are ready to receive, but there's no synagogue in Philippi. Jewish tradition said that if there were 10 men head of household in a city, they had to build the synagogue. So if there's no synagogue, there are not 10 men 
who are Jews in the city. If there are not ten men who are Jews in the city and there's no synagogue, then Jewish tradition said, go to the open air where there's living water. Living water is any water that's bubbling out of the ground or moving. Didn't Jesus say something like that? Come to me, you thirst, and I will give you what? Living water? He t- they, they're to go to living water out in the open where they could pray, read the scriptures, and they had the water right there for the different things that they might need to do in the different ceremonial cleansings that was a part of their worship. So they go out there. So this is where Paul goes. On the Sabbath day, we went out to the city to the riverside. I've actually been to that river. In this city, outside of Philippi, in this river, which is really a creek, or a crick, depending on where you're from, and... It's, uh, it's about like very, pretty similar to where we were camped, actually, the size of it when we were at Pine. And that, that's like, I don't know what you call that. That's not, not the South Fork of the Boise. It's a part of the South Fork of the Boise. But anyways, the point is, it's not this huge river. It's this little <coughs> creek that you can get down in and wade in. And so they're there and they're praying. And so that's where he goes. It says, and they sat down and spoke to the women who met there, specifically the women because there were no men. No Jewish guys. These are all the women gathered. You know, it's still the way it is today. A lot of times in church, women come. You know, I always know it's Mother's Day because I look at the, the women who usually come by themselves and there are men with them. So their sons and or slash husbands are coming to church for Mother's Day for them. Well, here the same way. The women are gathered together. They're gathered to pray. It says, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. That phrase, who worshipped God, is the same phrase as the God-fearer. She's a Gentile proselyte who's hanging out with Jewish women because she wants to know, she's a seeker, she wants to understand who God is. That's who Lydia is. She's a seller of purple. That means she's rich. She's from Thyatira, which is in the region of Lydia, from which probably she gets her name. The Romans loved to buy purple. They loved purple garments, and she was a seller of purple. We know that she was well-to-do because she had her own house, and she had her own business. And in those days, a woman having her own house and her own business was not all that common. So there she is at the riverside. There she is wanting to seek, wanting to know, wanting to understand who God is. I want you to get the picture. She's hanging out with these Jewish women who are praying, trying to know who God is. Stop. Now think back. Paul, I got to go somewhere and make disciples. I got to go someplace and take the gospel. And there's the Lord guiding them. Roadblock, roadblock, open. Gives them a dream, sends them down, walks through Neapolis, comes to Philippi, goes to the river, and there's Lydia. One person. Does God care about one person? Man, how many times do we see the Lord sending people to one person? Remember the woman at the well? One person, the God of the universe, had a special appointment just to be with her. That God will orchestrate your, if you're willing to be fulfilling God's general will, God's going to guide you and you want to ask, you want to ask a prayer that I'll guarantee you will be answered. You pray God give you someone to share the gospel with today. And then, you get out of your living room and stop watching golf. It's not all that exciting anyway. And see what happens. See if the Lord don't put somebody right in your lap. There they are. 
That's the one I'm supposed to share with. Because you want to fulfill God's general will. The honest answer is sometimes we don't want to fulfill it. Sometimes I'm tired and I want to break and I want to sleep and I want to take a nap and I just want to disconnect from people. But I'm not called to be tired, take a nap and disconnect from people, am I? Day off someday. In the New Testament, God does not call us to honor the, to, to keep the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, a lot of people may want to argue with me later about that. We can. The point is that Jesus declares himself to be the Sabbath. What was the Sabbath? Our rest. Jesus said, I am the Sabbath. When we see him, what is it they said? He said, uh, when we see Jesus, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. That's rest day. Until then, if we have a concept for the lost, people are perishing and and spending eternity in hell every day. And we really don't have time to take a day off. We don't really have time to stop. If we'll just be willing to fulfill God's general will. You see why it's called teetering on the edge of all in. Because to push your chips all in, that's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. But if you push them in, you will not ever be disappointed. You won't get to heaven and think, oh, what a drag that I lived my life for Christ. What a drag that I didn't have all the things I could have had. Brian's not going to say, what a drag that I lost that. I had to sell that house I loved so much in Twin Falls and go down to Bermuda Dunes. What a drag I had to leave the area where it's not hot and go to a place that I'm not even sure angels go. Bermuda Dunes, Phoenix, and Las Vegas. Anybody want to move there? Why? Maybe in the winter when it's like minus 20 degrees and it's, oh, oh, a balmy 70 there. But trust me, in the summer when it's 125, you are fleeing. But that's where they're going. And what time are they going? In the summertime. I know it's God. Has to be. Nobody does that on purpose. (coughs) Nobody does that on purpose. Well, same thing. You've got God orchestrating, God moving, God working in people's lives. You've got Lydia gathered there, Paul being directed. He comes to that place. He begins to share. And as he shares, what happens? What's the Bible say? The Lord opened her heart. It is not our job to save anybody. Take all that heat off of you. That's not your responsibility. You just got one responsibility. What is that? To tell. Tell them. Tell them what? Tell them what God means to you. You know what's amazing? You will never get in a theological argument telling somebody what God means to you. You will never get in a theological argument telling people how you got saved. You'll never get in a theological argument when you're down in the basics, down in the trenches, telling them the reality of that. Jesus said that if you'll believe, you put your faith and trust in Him, you can become a part of the family of God. While we are to do that, what's God do? He opens a heart. Now some of us, we're out there banging our head against a stone wall. And we're talking to the same dude all the time. Man, i got to get this guy saved. You ever done that? If you're doing that, bang, 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 stop and turn around. 
Because somewhere around you, there's somebody who's been watching or listening, and they're probably the one you need to spend your time on. God opens the heart. Your job is to tell. Don't mean quit telling the other guy. But you look around. More than one time, there are people who have been banging their head trying to, to share with somebody, only to find out that there's a guy that's been next to him for the last year and a half working on the same part of the factory who's heard you every time you've been talking to him. And as soon as he turned his attention and began to talk to him, bam, that dude's heart was open. He gave his life to Christ. And now there's two of them banging on the other guy. Look around. Look for opportunities to fulfill the general will of God. And that's what Paul does. The Lord opens her heart. She hears the thing Paul says. She gets saved. Then what happens? And when she and her household were, what's that word? Baptized. Please, stop with the craziness about being baptized. Get baptized. What's wrong with you? If you're not baptized, get baptized. If you've never been baptized, why? Go through the scripture. Find the times where it says they got saved and then they just decided they're they're not going to get baptized. That's just incidental. Look, everybody, Jesus was baptized. The disciples were baptized. The apostles were baptized. Paul was baptized. Everywhere you go, people are getting baptized. Why? It's an opportunity for them to proclaim, my life is changed. I leave the old life and I'm going to the new life. There is new life in Christ. She was baptized. And then we see evidence of a changed life. How do we see evidence of a changed life? Look. It says, and so she was baptized and she begged us. She begged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded them. That word persuaded is the exact same word used of the disciples on the Emmaus Road when Jesus was walking with them in the secret. You guys know the story? And he turns as if he's going to leave, but, but they persuade him and he stays. She persuaded him. So what, we see a changed life. What's a changed life? She opened her house. Church is in her home now. The rich, wealthy lady who has it all just opened up her house to the church. Have you paid attention to who comes to church? Have you? Al comes to church. Hey, Al. <laughs> I don't know if the, if the, if the rich lady from, from Thyatira wants Al in her church, but she opened her house as church. That means everybody comes, huh, Al? Everybody, no matter what. She's opening her house. We're about to see the second person saved. First, you have her and her family. It all looks really cool and neat. But in one verse, everything changes. And they end up with a slave girl. Look at verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer, going back down to the river to pray, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, <coughs> who brought her masters much profit and fortune telling. And the girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days, but Paul got greatly annoyed, turned around and commanded the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out of her that hour. You notice that when Jesus went around teaching, every time he ran into a demon, what did the demon say? Always said the truth. He called him Son of God. All the time the demon was trying to point that Jesus was who he said he was, but... Jesus doesn't want the demons as his advertising executives. Neither did Paul. The first thing the devil tries to do is join the church. How's he join the church? He comes alongside with this little slave girl. She has the spirit of Pythios in her, the spirit of divination. Uh, Pythios or Pythion, he was the, 
the snake that would speak through the oracle of Delphi. The oracle of Delphi was also a slave girl. Apollo would take the form of the snake, enter in to the slave girl, and the slave girl will speak. That was the oracle of Delphi. Here, these guys have their private oracle. She's really filled with a demon. And Paul recognizes it. Led by the Spirit of God, he casts the demon out of her. The demon leaves. What the story doesn't tell you is now that little slave girl is not worth anything. Her masters don't care about her. The town don't care about her. Paul and Silas do. Member number two of the church of Philippi. A little demon-possessed slave girl who gets saved. She's going to be hanging out at Lydia's house. Because she's opening her house. Because she understands the general will of God now. Got to make disciples. How can I do it? Well, one way I can do it, I can open my house. We didn't have church there. And here you got this old, this, this slave girl coming in, being a part of it. But we also know that this slave girl's life radically changed because of what her masters did. Look at verse 19. But when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to, to the authorities. <coughs> they grabbed Paul and Silas. Why? Because they're mad. Why? Because you're not good for nothing anymore. She can't tell the future. She can't do all the things that she was able to do before. So they grabbed Paul and Silas. How come they didn't grab Luke and Timothy? They're there too. I don't know. Have you ever noticed that God does not always do things that are fair? Is that shocking for you, some of you? You're kidding me. Well, not fair by how we see things. Not fair by how we see things. While you're thinking about the fairness of God and God's ability and His general will and what God's calling us to, open up your Bible to Isaiah 55. We're going to read Isaiah 55. I promise you, the plane is circling. It will come in for landing soon. Isaiah chapter 55. I love Isaiah 55. Here's what the Lord says through Isaiah the prophet. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come and buy wine, which is a symbol for joy. And milk, which is a symbol for growth. Without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Why are you chasing all these things that won't satisfy you, that won't make your life whole? Why are you spending your life? God gives us all the same time. One life. We all get one. How are you going to spend it? You only get to choose to spend it for the Lord one time. When your life is gone, you can't go back and spend it again. You only get to spend it once. He says, why are you spending it on what doesn't satisfy why are you chasing all these other things when God is calling you to something more? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. here, and your soul will live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Man, God's talking about the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31. He's talking about writing his, his law on our hearts changing our hardened hearts for hearts of flesh. He's talking about salvation way back in Isaiah 55. He's calling them to, to set aside all these things, all the things that they think are going to satisfy and to follow Him. 
Indeed, he says in verse 4, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you will run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, which is Jesus Christ, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way. When we want to come to Jesus, then there is a change in life. We don't come to Jesus and stay in the filth we're in. We don't turn from our wicked ways first. We come to Jesus first, and then He turns us from our wicked ways. But once we've come to Christ, we can't stay in them anymore. If you're satisfied in the wicked ways and doing all those wicked things, then you haven't come yet. To come, we turn. And the unrighteous man is going to forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Then the Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens, or for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Is there something in our mind that says God would never do that? Do you really think you have the ability and your limited intelligence to understand the works of God and why or He would or wouldn't do something? That's creating God in our own image. He's bigger than that. We say, I don't know why God would call Paul and Silas to have to suffer. What's the first thing they did to him? They brought him into the Agora marketplace. A lot of people around. People all over the place. And what's the say, scripture say that they did? They stripped them. Now, I don't want you to get the idea like in a movie where they took their shirt off and whipped them. That's not what it says. They took off their clothes. They're naked in the Agora before all these people being beaten with rods. You were beat with rods by Roman soldiers who beat you until they got tired of beating you. 39 lashes was something Jewish, not Roman. There was no such policy under Rome. Rome beat you till they were tired. One of the ways they would beat you is beat you until you confessed to something. So they beat them with rods. They open up their back. Now, naturally they would begin on their back, but what would you do? After you had your back hit a certain amount of times, you're going to try to move. And they hit someplace new. They cover your body with whatever bruises and stripes they're going to cover you with. And then the scripture tells us, after they did that, they threw them into the darkest prison. What was their crime? You being Jews are trying to proselytize Romans. That's the crime. You being Jews are trying to proselytize. It was against Roman law. What they didn't realize, and what will come up later, is that both Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. And it was against the law to ever beat a Roman citizen for anything. But they just thought they were dirty Jews. So they beat them and they throw them into prison. Look what it says. It says, having received such a charge... The chief jailer in verse 24. He put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Fasten your feet in the stocks. That means the only way to lay down is on your legs and your back. That part of you that just got beat. So there you are in the stocks. If they were kind enough to put your clothes back on you, now your clothes are sticking to the wounds. 
A lot of reason to quit. We talked last week about the concept, about God's, the love of Christ compelling us to do the things that God's asking us to do to fulfill His general will. But the question is, what will make you quit? Is that going to make you quit? The roadblock going to make you quit? Losing a job going to make you quit? Your family giving up on you going to make you quit? Somebody not being nice to you at church going to make you quit? What's going to make you quit? What's going to make you turn? What's going to make you stop? Beaten with rods, feet in the stock, what's it say next? And about midnight, they were singing praises to the Lord. And all the prisoners heard them. Now, the next group of people that are about to join the church of Philippi is a jailer and a bunch of prisoners. A girl who had a demon in her and a rich lady from Thyatira. First church in Europe. Crazy things that God's going to do through that church are unbelievable. But we're not there yet. We're still deciding whether or not we're willing to push our chips in. To say, I'm in. I'm all in. All of me. Listen, God did not call us to say, I want a part of your life. I want a piece of your life. I want that little nook or that little cranny. God called us to say, I want it all. All. All of you and all of me. Is there anything he withholds from us? Nope, we get it all. We get the spirit. We get every heavenly blessing, every spiritual blessing under the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1. We get it all from him. He wants all of us. We give it all. Are we willing to say, I will fulfill God's general will in my life and allow him to guide me to his specific will while I'm in motion doing the things God wants me to do. And if you look around, there'll be a lot of opportunity for you to do. In that doing, sometimes people are going to beat you. Sometimes they'll hit you with rods, strip you naked. Maybe they just tear you up with their mouth. Maybe you find yourself like Saeed. You guys remember him, right? Pastor from Boise. Grew up on Iran. Got saved. Started doing home churches. Why? Because it's illegal to have a church. But he knew the general will of God. What was the general will of God? Make disciples of all men. So he just started doing it. Eventually he has to flee Iran because they, they want him because of all these home churches. But years later, 10, like 10 years later, he's got an opportunity to go build an orphanage down in Iran. The State Department is asking him to come be a part. He says, are we all cool for all that other stuff? Yep, we're all cool. Don't worry about it. We're not looking for that. Just come build the orphanage. He lands, gets on a bus, spends a couple of days there. They snatch him up, throw him in Evan prison. He's been there a year. Every single day they beat him. What's his crime? He's a believer. That's it. Every day they beat him. Every day the most he can hope for is some gruel they throw together in some dirty kitchen that they feed all the prisoners with. Every day that's his life. For a year. Surely this cannot be God's specific will for his life. But you see, while he was fulfilling God's general will, God led him and, gu and guided him, and now he's in prison. Oh, he didn't hear from God right, right? Except for the fact that prisoners and guards are getting saved in heaven prison. Darkest place on earth. Nobody would ever be able to go there. You could never do an outreach there. So God sent Saeed. 
He asks us to do one thing. Pray for those who are in chains. Average American prays less than 60 seconds a day. His beatings last longer than that. Will you fulfill God's general will? Get busy. Move. Let God bring his specific will into place as he guides you and leads you, just like he did Paul. And as he does those things, and as he moves in your midst, it may mean that there are going to be hard things in your future. But what I love about Saeed is he said, I ain't never going to quit. They said, they'll beat me until I recant my faith. And he said, they're going to wear out their knuckles. He's not ever going to quit. Unfortunately for some of us, we're not ever going to get started. Because we're waiting for something. And I don't know what. But it's time. It's time. Slide it all in. It's time to give it all up. And let God do what He wants to do with your life. Maybe it means selling a house and moving away like Brian and Alexis. Maybe it means just staying here and, and sharing with kids. Maybe it means going down to a skate park with us on Tuesdays and reaching out to kids nobody cares about. Maybe it means doing something. I guarantee it means doing something. A dead fish can swim downstream, right? It takes a living one to swim up. And I think God wants us to be swimming. Amen? We'll pick up the rest of this when we get back. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Why don't you stand with me? <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just thank you for the truth of your word, God, and for what your word declares. And, and God, I do thank you, Lord, that, that this is what you call all of us to. Not, it's me, it's everybody to be in, <clears throat> to commit. Pay whatever price there is to pay to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. So many people live their life, live their Christianity, and people watch and they say, there's no power there. Nothing's happening there. Nothing's going on there. Maybe it's because we're not moving. Maybe it's because we're not responding to the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's because we're not even willing to fulfill the general will of God. We're waiting for him to give us a specific. God, I just pray that you would move and work through us. And if there's anybody here today saying, I don't get none of this. I don't understand what you guys are talking about. Man, you got to come to the well. you got to come to the place where we receive the living water of Jesus Christ. Because every person who ever drank of that water, their lives radically change. Radical change becomes the norm. They take of that water. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Slide it all in the middle of that table and you say, I'm betting everything I am, everything I'll ever be, everything I could ever be, everything I can ever have, I'm betting it all on the love of Jesus Christ, that he's real and that he's called me to more than this life I've been living till now. And you watch what God will do. Lord, I pray you by your spirit would move in this place as we seek you, God. We want your power. We want your direction. We want your leading. We want you to guide and direct 
and encourage each and every one to do whatever it is that God is asking, what God is laying on their heart. I pray that each and every one would say, Lord, what would you have me do? Would hear the cries for help around them and fulfill the general will until they know the specific. God, I just pray you'd move in might and power in our midst and that everyone who comes to you would hear what you said in Isaiah. Come by and eat without money. It don't cost you a thing. There's nothing you got to pay. There's nothing you got to do. Just put your faith in me. Put your weight in me. Jesus is standing this morning and saying, follow me. They're just waiting to see who's going to lay down their nets. Lord God, I pray. We would lay down our nets and we would follow you, God. Never be disappointed for having our faith and trust and life spent in you. Lord, I ask... (coughs) Just your special blessing, God, as we come before you and we close out in a a word of worship, God, I just pray, Lord, if anybody's thirsty, they come. If anybody needs to pray, they just come. And that they're filled by you. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close.